Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. All right, it is our fourth and final hour on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT on the eve of the New Hampshire primary. Thank you for being part of the show today. We appreciate it. Uh, i got a really cool interview coming up. We're going to talk about the multiverse. Yes, the multiverse. Right. Why are we going to talk about the multiverse, you might ask? Because I am a nerd. No, I, I love all... I mean, I am. But I love all the superhero movies, obviously. Uh, and everything has been about the multiverse. It really has. It's very cool. My son and I watched it together. You know, Patrick and I love those movies. It's a good father-son bonding thing. But whether it's Spider-Man in the multiverse or whether it's Batman in the multiverse, we got to see Michael Keaton come back. Whatever it is, it's uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating topic. Could there be other universes? Could we be alive in another universe? Could there be another version of us in the other universe? And we will have that conversation a little bit later. So I guess the question as... Uh, we look to how much Biden can destroy this country as much as possible. There's another thing that he might do, which is to ban liquid natural gas exports. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, is it, how can you just completely destroy this, this country anymore? Liquid natural gas is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Clean burning, and it's very efficient. And if you are fortunate enough to have it to heat your home, you are very lucky versus having to use oil heat because it's usually cheaper. And also cooking wise, I mean, I refuse to cook without natural gas. My pizza oven, which just to give you the update <laughs> on that is um, finally in. I mentioned that to you, but I, with the gas line working on all that. But even my wood fired pizza oven, I made sure to get a, a, a burner for it so that I could heat it up with the liquid natural gas. I'm a big fan of natural gas. I love natural gas. But of course, the left hates it because it's not a renewable, which is a joke because we have no idea how much natural gas the world really has. It might be able to last us for uh, billions of years. We have, just don't know because we are not supposed to know. We're supposed to buy the narrative that these are non-renewable resources. And if, as long as you just buy that narrative, well, then that's the end of it. But if these things are non-renewable, if there if there is a finite amount of them, because they're supposed to be, you know, dinosaur bones or whatever the, the, the left says that they have to be, even though there's no proof of that. But 
why is it then countries like Dubai are investing so heavily in, in, in drilling for new oil? And because they know it's there. That's why. Why is it that Vladimir Putin's making so much money right now selling liquid natural gas and, and, and is doing more exploration? Because he knows it's there. That's why. The world is a vast, untapped resource. My daughter was amazed the other day to find out in school that two-thirds of the ocean is, I mean, two-thirds of the world is covered by water. Uh, we have no idea the energy resources, but it doesn't matter because the left, they, all they care about is solar and wind. And that's it. And you cannot have conversations with these people. Liquid, a liquid natural gas exporting facility outside of Philadelphia would be ridiculously great for jobs. We could create so many jobs. It would be fantastic for the region. We have the Marcella Shale here. We could be tapping into that baby and it'll be great. But this is from the Wall Street Journal and I didn't even realize this was coming, but here we go. Energy prices have retreated since Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine, they write, but America's enemies haven't. So it's hard to believe the Biden administration is considering an election year gift to Russia and Iran, an embargo on permitting new liquefied natural gas export projects. Our sources say Biden advisor John Podesta is pushing the idea in the White House as a standard operating procedure to the climate lobby, which is still furious over the administration's approval of ConocoPhillips Willow Oil Project in Alaska. We can help Gulf Coast residents stop the onslaught of liquid natural gas export terminals. Chief climate lobbyist Bill McKibben tweeted last week. But what about stopping Russia's onslaught of Ukraine? We're told that this is priority number one for this administration. We cannot turn our backs on Ukraine, we're told, over and over again. Whatever they need, give them the money. Whatever they need, give them the money. U.S. liquid natural gas exports have increased by about 31 billion cubic feet per month since January 2022, which has helped Europe wean itself off Russian energy and reduced global gas prices. If not for U.S. liquid natural gas, political support in Europe for Ukraine might have flagged as its citizens shivered. Now, first of all, I don't think there is political support here at home for Ukraine. And if there is political support in Europe, then why do we have to spend all this money? Why isn't Europe taking care of this? But that's for another show, obviously. The growth in liquid natural gas exports owes largely to projects approved by the Trump administration. Now, the good news is hopefully he'll be back in the White House soon. Oh, spoiler alert, he's going to win New Hampshire tonight. The Energy Department must approve liquid natural gas exports to countries that don't have free trade agreements with the United States. The Biden Department of Energy has approved five permits, all of which have been capacity extensions. The Trump administration approved 14 permits. The Trump administration approved permits in seven weeks on average, but the Biden team is taking 11 months to process them. This is how bureaucracy works. If they don't want something, it, they just veto it by dragging their bureaucratic feet. And it frustrates me that bureaucrats have this kind of power, but they do. They just stall on everything. You know, I'll put it to you. It's like you're, you're trying to open a deli in town, but you and the mayor hate each other and you haven't got your CO. Ah, be a shame if you had to wait another couple of weeks for the CO. It's 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 that on a, on a on a macro scale of bureaucratic incompetence and corruption. It's the same reason why the, the Biden administration is has been taken to court over their hold up on giving out oil leases. Permits for four liquid natural gas projects capable of satisfying the annual natural gas demand of India are awaiting approval. One has been sitting at the Department of Energy for more than a year. What does it take to approve this anyway? Hmm. What does it take? It does not take that long. But if they don't want it to happen, 
then they just kill it by waiting it out and then hoping that the company runs out of money or something like that. I'll give you a great analogy to this. So years ago, my, you know, my wife grew up in the Adirondacks in Tupper Lake, New York, and it's beautiful up there. It's about 45 minutes north of Lake Placid, uh, where we got married in 2008. So Tupper Lake's gorgeous, but everybody goes to a lot of people go to Lake Placid. They have the skiing there. It was the host of the Olympics, obviously, in 1980. Uh, ton to do. Tupper Lake wants to be wanted to be that region, too. So they had this mountain there they called Big Tupper, and they were going to go all in on revitalizing this mountain project. They got these investors involved. They were going to build houses and condos, and, and but it's in the Adirondack Park, which is a public-private land mass in the upstate portion of New York State. And there's the Adirondack Park Council. The Adirondack Park Council. Now, these people don't want anything to be built. They don't, they don't want people putting decks on their houses in the Adirondack Park. And you have all these towns that are part of the Adirondack Park. So everything has to get approved by this council. Well, sure enough, what they wound up doing was dragging their feet on the approval of the project that the, the guy who was basically bankrolling the whole thing wound up losing all his money. And there's a lot of people that got screwed over in the course of all this. But that's what they did. When when the LoveGov Cuomo finally came around and said, yeah, I think it'd be nice. We get a mountain project. Maybe there'll be some snow bunnies going down. I like snow bunnies. Cuddle by the nice fire of the lodge after with a lager or a pilsner. And then uh, slowly undress the snow bunnies to reveal that because they're, they're going to be cold. I, you know, uh, When the LoveGov finally got around to basically signing off on it, by then the damage was done. It had taken so long to get the approval that the money was gone. And that's the problem with these bureaucratic people. They know how to kill things. They know how to drag their feet. And the left hates coal and liquid natural gas and the left hates oil. And we need all these things. We need all these things. Instead, what are they doing? They're having an emergency meeting tomorrow at the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities to approve more windmill projects. More ocean-destroying, whale and dolphin-killing windmill projects. That's tomorrow morning at the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities. By the way, this is the big story of the day today. It's brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria of VenariaDental.com. My buddy, go see Dr. Mike for a great smile, the smile you deserve, VenariaDental.com. So then even if these projects are approved, it will still take a few years before they're up and running. But the eventual increase in liquid natural gas exports would help displace coal power and Russian gas. Russian liquid natural gas exports, some of which are still going to Europe, hit a record in December. In fact, a new major Russian liquid natural gas export facility is scheduled to come online this year. Iran, the world's third largest natural gas producer, has revived construction on a liquid natural gas export facility that it aims to complete next year. The U.S. surpassed uh, Qatar last year as the world's top liquid natural gas exporter, but new projects could help Doha regain its lead. Let me also um, point out something about liquid natural gas, that the, another reason why the left hates it and why they hate fracking and why they hate everything. They are convinced, and remember, climate change is a religion. This is, not, this is, a, this is a means of destroying capitalism. I've told you this before. Climate change, the true people that push climate change are either at the very, very top of the food chain, so they want to control everything to get even richer, or people that want to see the systemic destruction of capitalism. Because you can't, you can't have capitalism without oil to run the place and gas and coal to run the place. 
And these very same people don't want developing nations around the world to be able to come online with us. So that's why they don't want them to have any liquid natural gas or coal or oil either. So, you know, you talk about the hubris, the arrogance of the first world, as it's called, you know, first world problems, where we lecture to the, the, the developing world, the third world, and tell them, sorry, folks, but that nice, cushy, modern lifestyle that we're all enjoying here at Davos, you can't have because climate change. The other thing, too, is if Russia is really going to defeat Ukraine and then storm into Poland and then take over Europe, why, if Europe is so worried about that, why are they buying Putin's natural gas? I've said this before, but, you know, France is acutely aware of the fact that the Nazis took over their country because the French surrendered in about eight seconds. And the hardest thing France had to do at the time was just put their hands up and drop their rifles and make sure they didn't shoot themselves in the foot when they surrendered to the Nazis. So they know, I mean, if that's what we're told, that Putin is the next Hitler and he's going to roll into Europe and he's going to just take over, why do they keep enriching the guy? Oh, maybe it's because they're not that worried about it. And also because they need the liquid natural gas. But I think it's because they don't really, they're not that worried about it. They know it's all BS. They know that, that whole warning that, you know, next, that next it's Poland is all BS. Because obviously there's NATO and NATO treaties and that would involve the United States of America. And that's why Joe Biden threatens your children and says your children are going to be fighting a war against Russia if you don't give us all the money we need for Ukraine. If new U.S. liquid natural gas projects are blocked, Europe and Asia will have to import gas from elsewhere to meet their growing demand. Most won't come from America's friends. Yet the climate lobby says new liquid natural gas projects will lock in higher CO2 emissions for decades. They're apparently less worried by the 305 coal-fired power plants that China has announced that they have in the works. Well, no, we can't tell China what to do, obviously. I mean, come on, please, please. All these corporations that do business with China and on all these corporate media entities, they'll never talk about that. Oh, please. You, you can't have Comcast, Xfinity, or Paramount, or any of the other Disney, ABC, Disney, China have any of their news people talk about China's coal plants because that would mean that would hurt their streaming business. There's a lot of screens over there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's why they kowtow to China. It's why they don't talk about their human rights abuses or their coal or anything else. It's why they also covered for China with the COVID lab leak theory, which is not a theory. It's a fact. China's CO2 emissions increased last year by twice as much as United States emissions declined. Let me say that again. China's CO2 emissions increased last year by twice as much as U.S. emissions declined. Blocking new liquid natural gas export projects won't reduce global emissions, but it would be a gift to America's adversaries and show Europe that the U.S. is not a reliable ally. Quote from Eurogas president Didier Halu, who said in a statement, in Europe, many projects for new liquid natural gas import terminals are based on the assumption of stable long-term supply relationships with the United States. If additional U.S. liquid natural gas export capacities would not materialize, it would risk increasing and prolonging the global supply imbalance and make prices volatile. But again, if you are Joe Biden and the Democrats and the left, you, you, you want to destroy this country, so that's what you do. This is what you do. And you kill things. And also, if you're, if you're wussy Republicans like... Uh, is that that guy, the governor of Maryland there, Larry, Larry Hogan, who was the, you know, he's the no labels guy, the big Nikki Haley buddy. 
Oh, do you see, uh, I mentioned this earlier in the show, but it's worth repeating that, you know, the Nikki, and thanks to Dom Giordano for telling me this, that I got it to work today because the, uh, the Haley campaign put out a three-page memorandum letting everybody know that after she gets crushed tonight in New Hampshire, she's still staying in because the other primaries are open primaries, which is, of course, admitting to everybody what we've all known, which is that she's only staying in this because the, the Democrat establishment can help her get the nomination. Try, thinks they can. Thinks they can help her get the nomination. Thinks. Thinks. So, uh, and the other and the other point, too, that I mentioned earlier in the show today, the FBI said there were pipe bombs on January 6th, but evidence points to a cover-up. Congressman Tom Massey said if there were indeed two operable pipe bombs, that would be the biggest threat that existed on January 6th. But the problem is... It's a fugazi. We knew it was a fugazi back then. Democrats have strained to make the case that January 6, 2021, the high holy day of the left, was a violent insurrection, even result, resorting to false claims such as that police officers were murdered to make their case. But they have gone out of their way to avoid the one incident that would seemingly best make their case, the two purported pipe bombs outside the Democratic National Committee and Republican National Committee. Now a Republican lawmaker who poured over thousands of hours of video footage and other evidence from J6 alleges that the bombs may have been planted with the involvement of law enforcement. He believes Democrats have backed off from the incidents for fear that the truth would be discovered. Representative Tom Massey of Kentucky said, quote, this is an ongoing cover up at this point. If there were indeed two operable pipe bombs, that would be the biggest threat that existed on January 6th. It doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't be promoting that threat to advance that narrative unless they had something to do with the pipe bombs and they're trying to memory hole the whole thing to avoid embarrassment. Video identified by Massey shows officers reacting nonchalantly after they were notified of the pipe bomb, milling slowly around the area and even letting children walk in front of it afterward. The soon-to-be vice president, Kamala Harris, was in the building at the time, a fact that the Department of Justice made misstatements about for months. The video raises questions, of course, about how a Secret Service sweep before she entered did not detect a pipe bomb in plain sight some 30 feet from them. Massey said it would be the worst scandal of January 6th, that's for sure. A pipe bomb is made to maim and kill, and the people who were protesting that day did not have weapons meant to maim and kill. So you would think they would be very focused on these pipe bombs, but they aren't. The Democrat-run January 6th committee chaired by Representative Benny Thompson did not mention the pipe bombs, by far the most sensational aspect of the day, at all in the body of its nearly 900-page final report on the day, except for a brief mention in an appendix. Back in 2022, Kamala Harris called J6 the deadly assault, like it is September 11th in Pearl Harbor, but went out of her way not to mention being the target of an apparent bomb, instead saying that she was safe from the Capitol because I had left. Security cameras also captured a person apparently planting the bomb on the night of January 5th, but former top FBI Washington official Stephen D'Antuano testified that he was flabbergasted to find that video footage turned over by the DNC was of far lower quality than would be expected of modern cameras. The pipe bomb planter can be seen appearing to use a cell phone, but data from a cell phone company was corrupted and the FBI wasn't able to find any records for the suspect. Every modern data system keeps backups. I don't believe it could be corrupted without the ability to recover it, said Congressman Massey. And the FBI also said the bombs were viable, but they were connected to a 60-minute kitchen timer, making it impossible to trigger an explosion the next day. Massey, who happens to be an engineer, said that a kitchen timer doesn't create an electrical impulse. You would need a battery to ignite it. The FBI told them details that made the bomb sound scary, such as its length and the fact that it had a timer, but said it was not authorized to tell him 
whether it had a battery. Now, D'Antono said, told ABC they would have exploded, but acknowledged under oath that a 60-minute timer could not set off a device more than 17 hours later. So Massey said, we need to talk about the person who allegedly found the bomb. I got a lot of questions for them. For instance, how hard did you look for the third bomb? Like, unless you know there are only two bombs, why would you quit looking after you found two? Why wouldn't you go into overdrive with a bunch of dogs and start trying to find bombs everywhere? And that doesn't seem to have happened. It's almost as if, okay, well, the first bomb has been discovered. Let's go get the other one, and then we'll be done with this part of the exercise. Revolver News was the first to report on the video and has raised a slew of questions about law enforcement's handling of a would-be terrorist attack. Last year, it reported that the FBI released footage from a camera pointing directly at the DNC bench during a different time period and that the same camera, therefore, should have captured a clearer shot of the, suspe- of the suspect placing the bomb. We believe there are probably alternate videos of the January 5th suspect that have not been released to us. Well, we know the committee also covered up information, and we know that the committee, the J6 committee, um, deleted things prior to the Republicans taking over. They're hiding things. We know all these things, and we know they're doing all this. It's a, it's a huge cover-up. Meanwhile, if you go to Cabela's and you buy a, a, a hat, you know what I mean? You buy a hat at Cabela's. If you do that, just know you're probably a terrorist and you're on the terror, terror watch list. You might be a terrorist. All right, um, quick break, and uh, coming up, we're going to talk about the multiverse. Is it real? You bet. Got a great interview coming up with you. Don't go away. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. All right, you know, I'm obsessed with the idea of the multiverse, probably because I watch so many superhero movies, and uh, that's about as far as my knowledge goes, because I'm not exactly the great scientist. But luckily, as we continue here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD, there is a local guy from the Northeast who's just about, you can say, a qualified genius on the matter. He's Dr. Paul Happern, professor of physics at St. Joseph's University and author of 18 popular science books. His newest book, The Allure of the Multiverse, Extra dimensions other worlds and parallel universes dr paul halpern thank you for joining me in your hometown thank you for having me on yes i'm a a philly boy through and through and also interested in things well beyond philadelphia such as the multiverse 
Yeah, well, you know, it's it's gotten a lot of popularity over the years. I have a nine-year-old son, so we watch all the Marvel movies and all the all the DC movies, and you know, obviously, this this concept of the multiverse is caught on with popularity in, in popular culture because of the fact that hey, you know, right now we, we we all might be living in a different dimension, our same selves, but different versions of ourselves, and so it it raises a lot of questions. And I mean, that's got to make you happy at least, right? At least people are talking about the multiverse, whether they're getting it right at all in these movies or not. I mean, they're still talking about it. Well, there are different ideas of the multiverse in cultural and science. So scientists have one idea about parallel universes, and there's another idea in books and movies and uh, TV series. And that's because we all have an interest in knowing about the question, what if? What if different things happen to us in our lives? What if we took on a different job? What if we met a different partner in our life, went to a different city? And this is something we never know. We don't know what would have happened if we made different choices in our lives. But in films and books, there's a large interest in depicting what these alternative branches of time would seem like. So let's start with what what do we mean when we say the multiverse? Well, it used to be thought that the universe is everything because universe, you know, comes from the roots of it come from one uh, thing. So it, it comes from the idea of a single entity. But um, years ago, we thought that our galaxy, the Milky Way, was the only thing in the universe. And now we know that there are hundreds of billions of galaxies in our universe. So the question is, why look beyond that? Why look beyond the universe? And that's because we could only observe uh, out to a certain distance in our universe because of the speed of light. That's the top speed that any signal can travel. So there's a lot beyond uh, our universe that we can't observe. And that's led to theories that maybe there are other universes out there with different properties, different characteristics, and that our universe is special because it's it's, uh, suitable for planets, it's suitable for stars and light. But perhaps there, there have been other universes that have formed that never quite evolved life, never quite evolved planets. And this is an interesting question for science. And, and is it possible that there's a, another universe where uh, I'm doing something completely different with my life, or am I being just way too self-absorbed to, th- to think about it in that concept? <laughs> well, the scientist's view of the multiverse looks at parallel universes that are very, very different from our own, so they wouldn't have supported stars and planets in life. But it's possible if, if the universe, the actual universe is large enough that there might be worlds out there that just through sheer chance resemble Earth, and it's possible that there might be, a, given a large enough uh, universe, uh, versions of us out there in, um, in space um, that, are, um, that are doing similar things. This is something I mentioned in my book, because um, there was a French revolutionary in the 19th century named uh, Blanqui, and he was in prison uh, because he kept trying to cause rebellions and he kept getting captured and being put in prison. And one time when he was in an island fortress, he started imagining what would have happened if the same revolutions that were taking place in France at the time took place on another planet. And he dreamed about the possibility of other planets in space that have uh, histories very similar to that of Earth. 
and and the, and the notion I, I remember reading um, uh, Michael Crichton's book Timeline years ago, and and the idea that there there could be a multiverse that exists right here in in on Earth right now um, is that is that something that science is exploring? Well, science is looking at the question of quantum mechanics and quantum measurement. Now, quantum mechanics is the science of looking at very, very tiny things like smaller than atoms, subatomic particles. It turns out that they have very, very different behavior than large things. And um, they, uh, they have a lot of information that we can't really access. So when we take a measurement of quantum things, like let's say we're trying to measure um, what happens to an atom, like if it's decaying or not decaying, um, we could only uh, access some of the information, and some of it is hidden. And in the standard model of quantum mechanics, the person who's doing the experiment kind of decides how um, the measurement will turn out and gives you one answer depending upon what they do. But back in the 1950s, there was a young researcher, Hugh Everett, who was really brilliant, and he uh, went to a talk by Einstein, and Einstein said, hey, wait a minute, why do human beings have to have a special property? Why do they have to take the measurements? Uh, why not, like a mouse? Could, a, could a, you know, an animal, like a mouse, uh, take a measurement and cause the, these quantum properties? And um, Hugh Everett was inspired by Einstein's talk and came up with this idea that instead of uh, when you take a measurement, you're narrowing down the properties, uh, these properties stay intact, but somehow human consciousness splits up during the process of measurement, and you have all these parallel universes as a result of, of the measurement, and you have multiple versions of yourself, each with a different value of the measurement. And then, so then, theoretically, I guess you could say that even when we die, I mean, leaving, you know, religion out of it for a moment, even when we die, consciousness could then theoretically continue. Our consciousness could. Well, some have proposed uh, this idea, which is very hypothetical, quantum immortality, which is says that in any quantum event, there's uh, multiple options, multiple possibilities, and conceivably, um, in, in one, someone would die, and, and the other option, someone would live, depending upon some kind of event. It's a little bit far-fetched, because it's hard to imagine something that happens in a subatomic level uh, leading to life versus death. But if that were the case, let's say just one uh, amount, of amount of radiation or a dose of radiation somehow triggered death, but the lack of the dose of radiation lets someone be alive, then in one parallel universe, they might be deceased, and the other parallel universe, they would survive. So it raises some interesting questions if you look at kind of the extreme examples about life and death. It's fascinating. The book is The Allure of the Multiverse. Dr. Paul Halpern is my guest. He's a Philly guy. I don't know if I can get an invitation to this party, but it sounds really fun. In your book, you have a chapter called The Time Traveler's Party. Uh, I'd love to go. I mean, that sounds great. We all dream about time travel. I mean, I grew up watching Back to the Future. You know, this is my this is my jam here. I love the idea that I can just get back in the DeLorean and I can I can make it all right. You know, but obviously the, that opens up so many questions. You know, if you go back and you kill baby Hitler, 
what happens. And so how does time travel and the concept of that fit in with all this? Well, in, in fiction, um, there's a big question about what would happen if you travel back in time. And physics, we, we really don't know if it's possible or not to go backward in time. We know it's possible to speed up, to slow down your clocks and go into the future that way by traveling close to the speed of light. You can slow down your personal clock and live longer and possibly witness the future. But backward time travel is an open question in physics. And in literature, we look at the idea of going back in time and trying to, to, to prevent a historical event. Like, let's say you try to stop uh, John Wilkes Booth from assassinating Lincoln, and you're, you're there, and the question is, what would happen? Would, would the fabric of time try to somehow stop you from doing this? Because is it, is it true that Lincoln's assassination was inevitable, or would you open up a new branch of history in which Lincoln wasn't assassinated, and maybe the, you know, the uh, aftermath of the Civil War would have turned out very differently, maybe the U.S. would be a very different country right now if Lincoln had survived and, you know, fulfilled his second term. So there are a lot of interesting questions about time travel and the idea of branching universes. And, of course, in Back to the Future, Marty McFly goes back in time to the 1950s, and he changes the way his parents meet each other. And as a result, his parents are far, far cooler when he goes back to the 1980s than they were when he, he grew up. So it's, it's every teenager's dream to go back in time and make their parents a lot cooler. Yeah, no doubt about it. Although, you know, kissing your mom at the prom is just weird. But uh, let, let, me, <laughs> let, let me ask you this, because, you know, since you brought up uh, that idea of, of time travel, what, what about the notion of, and again, let me be a, an absolute dork here and bring up an, another superhero movie, Avengers Endgame, where they basically use the Infinity Stones to create a new timeline, but then they go back and they uh, essentially now erase that entire timeline to return everything back to the way it was. Yeah, so uh, there's there's ideas in fiction about um, battling over over these timelines, battling over changing history. Um, the TV series Loki is a wonderful series about uh, the time variance authority and trying to monitor what happens in history, and you know, and then you know, things can get um, cast into turmoil if somebody goes back and does some sinister things that trying to change history in, in a, a fundamental way. So these are things that are fascinating. Back to the Time Traveler's Party, that's an interesting question because Stephen Hawking, the great physicist, um, thought that time, backward time travel was impossible. So he decided to put it to a test in a humorous way, and he sent out invitations for a party for time travelers from the future to attend. And he said, anyone from the future, come back to Cambridge and attend my party, and nobody attended. And he said, you see, there aren't any time travelers from the future. They would have wanted to come back in time and attend my party. So that was rather amusing. Well, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's possible they just didn't want to hang out with them, though. Yeah, sure. They might have thought, uh, <laughs> but, okay, no, we, we, have better, we have better things to do. Maybe there are fun discos in the future or something they wanted to hang out in instead. Um, as we think about the multiverse, Dr. Paul Happer, there was a there was an article recently that I saw that was in um, 
I believe if I, it was in Business Insider and it said something to the effect of a couple of years ago, you know, if parallel universes exist, could we actually find the evidence? So I think, you know, as, as we think about this, and, and your book does an excellent job of, of laying out all these hypotheticals and scenarios, and you know, what what would we need in terms of technology? What would we need to be able to ever actually, because we, as, as humans, we, we like to be able to prove things. We like to see things. You, you point that out in your book. You know, we like to see things. Seeing is believing. What would it take for us? What kind of quantum computer or quantum telescope or whatever would we really need to be able to see a parallel universe or to see the the multiverse? Well, there's one theory of bubble universes, which one is one of the type of multiverse theories that at the beginning of time, at the Big Bang, instead of one universe being produced, ours, all these bubble universes were produced, and that there's all these bubbles out there, and scientists are looking carefully for scars of collisions in the early universe between our universe and other bubble universes. So we can't really travel to the other universes today um, in this theory, but it might be the case that in the past, when our universe was very small, they might have had a lot of neighboring universes, and they might have bumped into each other, and then they would have caused some energy increase in our universe, some temperature increase, and that maybe in the sky we could detect this in uh, the radio waves in the, in the sky. Radio radiation uh, is... Um, being mapped out by physicists um, to look for uh, what things were like right after the Big Bang. And we're already doing this, mapping out um, the sky map of of radio signals. And a team of physicists have been looking for uh, evidence of rings that are scars from collisions between our universe and other bubble universes. So the question is still open. Yeah, it's always awkward when you bump into another universe and you weren't expecting to see them. And, you know, that's always a little bit awkward. Uh, the book is The Allure of the Multiverse, Extra Dimensions, Other Worlds, and Parallel Universes. Dr. Paul Halpern is my guest, a Philly guy. And obviously this raises so many philosophical questions and spiritual questions and, and religious questions. And uh, St. Thomas Aquinas comes to mind, you know, about proving the existence of God by, you know, something has to start all this. And uh, it, it really is just so fascinating. Last question for you, and, and, and I really appreciate you making the time today to come on the show when when we think about the the notion of of our own of our own future in terms of you, you know t- today is a new day for me it's a new start and you know i i it could all end today it could it could go on tomorrow i mean the one thing that seems constant here is that life the universe does not cease to exist. And yet I've heard other theories that say the universe is contracting. I don't know what it's contracting or expanding. You know, it's expanding into what? Maybe another universe. Is there ever a scenario in science where all this kind of eventually just compresses into itself in some way and just goes away? Well, there are different theories about the expansion of the universe. And um, we know that the universe is expanding because all the other galaxies uh, except for the close ones, are moving away from ours. So either our galaxy did something wrong and they're all shunning it, or the universe <laughs> is expanding. And uh, we're not the pariah galaxy. It's more like a bubble being blown up. But there used to be more physicists saying, well, this could start, the bubble could burst and we could start compressing again, contracting. But now the current theory is that this bubble is going to keep expanding forever and not only expand forever but get faster and faster as it expands 
and it might even uh, there's a theory called the big rip that everything might rip apart someday. So that's a, that's a little bit scary. And then that's always what happens in, in all these multiverse universes where you, you keep messing it up enough and it just kind of tears apart. I will say this, though, the the, the, the best part about all of this uh, rediscovery of the multiverse and in pop culture is we got to see Michael Keaton as Batman again, which I don't think any of us ever expected. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's amazing. Uh, with the multiverse films, you can you can reuse actors. If, uh, it's, it's good for the Hollywood uh, producers because if an actor just says, okay, you know, sorry, I need to be paid more, you just find somebody and you say, well, they're the person from the version of Batman from a parallel universe, <laughs> the version of Spider-Man from a parallel universe. So it, it gives more flexibility in hiring actors, um, and for better or worse. But, um, yeah, I'm very excited about this, and, and I learned everything from uh, growing up in Northeast Philly. I went to George Washington High School. I used to go to the Franklin Institute learn about science there. So um, it shows uh, someone can grow up in the public school system in Philadelphia, go to the museums and, and end up writing books and, and learning about the multiverse. Well, congratulations on writing it. And where can we find the book, Dr. Halpern? Uh, it's available. The Allure of the Multiverse is available online. It's available at bookstores everywhere. Uh, you know, independent bookstores, chain bookstores. Anywhere online, anywhere you think of to buy a book, it should be available. But is it available in another universe? <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> if it is, it's That's a bestseller, a no, no doubt about it. Uh, this is great. I, thank you for your time. The Allure of the Multiverse, Extra Dimensions, Other Worlds, and Parallel Universes by Philly's own Dr. Paul Halperin. Have a great day. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. And we'll be right back. I didn't want to make any Epstein jokes, by the way, about Stephen Hawking, because I, I didn't, that was, that would have just been completely inappropriate. So if, if you were wondering, did I exercise some restraint there in this universe? I sure did. <laughs> I didn't want to make any jokes that maybe the time travelers all went to Epstein's Island. Uh, but anyway, we got a lot more to chat about here on the uh, show as we continue to look at the New Hampshire primary, which at some point I'm sure we're going to get the results in, but we can all pretend like it's dramatic. You know, it's not. Not. Nevertheless, we'll continue here on our fourth and final hour on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. We're coming right back. Thanks for listening to the Zioli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD and the Odyssey app. All right, I went way long with those segments, so let me just wrap this up by saying uh, we shall see how big Trump's lead will be tonight in New Hampshire. Uh, it's going to be a big one, and we'll also see if Nikki Haley, in fact, uh, will stay in this race. I told you my philosophy is she will, because I believe that Nikki Haley is being backed by the establishment, and the establishment will keep her in the race as long as possible, because the establishment knows damn well that no matter what happens— Nikki Haley has to go all the way. Have a great rest of your night tonight. Enjoy it. The great one, Mark Levin, is up next. Keep the conversation going on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Thank you for listening. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.